All right, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 3 today. I'm going to turn over there. So last week we started in the seven messages uh, to the seven churches, and we'll finish those up this week and kind of then reflect over all of them and think about, okay, what does this mean for, for us and see how this could somehow be word up to that. Um, and again, since sometimes these are called the letters to the seven churches, this is another place we get the helpful reminder that the book of Revelation was written to them, but is still for us, right? So we don't skip over what it meant for them. Uh, we, we take that into account, and from there, we can work out what it means for us. We're literally reading somebody else's mail, just like we do when we read anybody else, any of the other letters in the New Testament. And so that, that helps us uh, knowing that there, there's a little bit of that distance helps how it, what it means for us, helps us understand it. Um, what's interesting, interesting, especially in this chapter, is if you know a little bit about the history of some of these cities, that actually can give you some, you know, there's some references in what Jesus is talking about. Uh, he's talking about things that had happened to them or uh, things that are, are um, relevant to their situation in kind of a clever way. So we'll see some of that come out here. Let me get my slides going. I only have these up, you know, when we need them. Uh, I'll get that started real quick. Started real quick. All right, share and start. Okay. So we saw last week. There's this pattern in all of the messages. Most of them will have these five things. Uh, yeah. Of Christ. Um, there's a commendation, right? Good about. One that says backspace. Need to mute everybody. Hold on. All right. So there's a commendation, right? What they're doing well. There's condemnation, what they need to work on, uh, and then a challenge, how they can work on that, or what they should do, and then finally a word of comfort for conquerors. Like here's how you conquer. Here's how you overcome whatever the issue is. Like I said, we'll at the end kind of reflect on all of them. See what would Jesus say to our church, uh, to Westlink. Um, and see if we see any of the things in, in these that might be relevant to our situation. All right, so the first church we're going to look at is the church in Sardis. So here's, oh, here's the map to see where they all are, right, all in modern-day Turkey. All right, so let's read uh, first part of chapter three here. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, and you have a name of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is on the point of death, for I have not found your works perfect in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. If you don't wake up, I will come like a thief. You will not know what hour I will come to you. Yet you still have a few persons in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. If you conquer, you'll be clothed like them in white robes and I will not blot your name out of the book of life I will confess your name before my father and before his angels let anyone who has an ear listen to what the spirit is saying to the churches so a little background on Sardis here's uh, where the city used to be uh, the ancient city of Sardis uh, it was a former capital in kind of pre-Roman times uh, and as you can see here it was built at the top of a very high hill which you would think would make it really easy to defend um, against attacks, but uh, there were actually two times in their history where they had been taken by surprise by invaders, or by invading armies. And so it's kind of this humiliating memory of they weren't prepared for someone coming uh, and attacking them or surprising them. So again, already you kind of see that that 
connects with what Jesus was talking about, right? This, uh, you don't know when I might be coming, it might be coming like a thief, right? That's probably a reference to the fact that they thought they were secure because they lived on this mountain, uh, but they had, <laughs> that had come without their, without them knowing about it. And, you know, we probably have heard that before, this idea of Jesus saying he would come like a thief. He says that directly. I think Paul uses that imagery as well. Uh, it's, and along with that, you have this idea of being told to wake up, right, or keep watch. That's a very common prophetic warning um, to, to wake up like that. Um, I think it's just kind of this idea that, you know, sometimes we are just sort of asleep to what's really going on. We're just kind of drifting through life. Um, and we're not awake to what's really going on in the world around us. And so that's, that's what he's encouraging them to do there. Um, he reveals, right? There's, again, revelation is revelatory. He's revealing things to them. He says, uh, where is it exactly? You uh, think that you're alive, but you're actually dead. Yeah, and verse, into verse one. And so, you know, we, we have these things that we think are signs of life, but maybe they're the opposite. Um, what would that look like in our lives? How could bad growth uh, actually be mistaken for a sign of life? Uh, what's the kind of bad growth that we might experience? Literally or you know, figuratively, spiritually. Can we think we're growing, we're actually getting weaker? And usually I know when I'm when I'm getting weaker, but I don't always know if I would think that I'm actually growing in that. But I, I think in this case, maybe the, the word there is unfinished. It's almost like maybe mm -hmm. they've done some things and then they're they're stopping to pat themselves in the back and instead of keeping going. Okay. Uh, and, and maybe okay. the, the exhortation here is, hey, you, you can't rest on your laurels. You need to constantly be trying to to do good and, and, and live the life. You can't just, hey, I made it. And, and that's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the spiritual life, it's, we, we're never done, right? We, in this life, for the most part, we don't really get to a point where we say, all right, well, I'm like Jesus now and everything I say and do and think, so I'm good. Well, yeah, Jane, sometimes with knowledge comes conceit. So if you think you're doing a good job or if you think you've hit, your, hit, hit what you need to know, then, mm -hmm. then you stop desiring to learn and grow. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just not giving up. And that's where he says, you're not, uh, at least in my transition, I haven't found your works perfect. Um, that word for perfect can also mean like complete in the sense, uh, kind of like, I think what Stephen is getting at of, yeah, you're, you, you've done some good things. Um, and it's not, not, uh, and I think, you know, the thing we got to watch out for when it says perfect, is we think, okay, Jesus expects me to be perfect in everything I say and do. And that just feels like such a high bar that I want to give up. It's more of like, yeah, it is the idea of completeness and every step matters along the way. And, but we're always trying to continue to take those steps and see where am I really growing, um, right? Not just am I growing more rich or more successful, but am I growing in a way that, that really matters to God? And so he's saying, you know, you need to look at what you're doing, right? He's talking about your works. What uh, are you doing and obeying what I've told you you need to do? Uh, and so that gets to an idea that we'll, we'll come back to a few times. Uh, it kind of comes up through the whole book of uh, Revelation sometimes seems to have almost a, a works-based sense of salvation. So how do we balance this idea of 
right? Justification by faith, this very famous idea that Paul introduces and a judgment that still takes into account what we do, right? That, you know, we're not saved. Uh, God's not impressed because we do enough good things. And so he lets us into heaven. Um, and yet we don't want to say, well, as long as I believe the right things, it doesn't matter what I do with my life. So I don't know, how, do you, how do you find balance with that? And especially with what Jesus says here of, you know, look at what you're doing, your works, you still got some work to do. Um, how do we balance that? Well, I think kind of like James talks about earlier, you know, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. It's one of those that um, if you don't truly believe, it's going to reflect in your actions. And if you do truly believe, it will reflect in your actions. Yeah, they, they're connected, right? Uh, the, we often make the mistake, and I, hopefully I'm not doing that, of saying it's either faith or it's works. It's obviously it's an organic connection. And if you um, think it's one or the other, uh, you kind of are led into uh, some mistaken ways of thinking. And I think this is what we'll see, especially at the end of the book. Um, <coughs> you can be saved by Jesus and also judge based on what you've done. Um, even if you're in, you know, in the New Jerusalem, to use Revelation's picture at the end, God's still going to address your action through your life. And in fact, you see this, uh, I think, pretty clearly in chapter 20. In that final judgment scene, it talks about uh, there's the book of life, and then there's also a set of books that seem to record what people have done, right? And so those are separate. Um, whether you're in the book of life is more about the, the faith, the commitment that you've made. But even if your name is in there, well, it seems like God's going to want to talk about how did you actually live your life? Though? What did you do that, you know, made a positive impact? Um, that's not what saves you, but it still matters, and so I think we want to balance those. Um, and Revelation, I think, is trying to, to walk that line, too, throughout it. Chris, so that what we do me? matters in this life, on this earth. Um, it's not just, you know, going through the motions so we can get into heaven. What we do here matters, but uh, it's not, of, you know, that you have to get enough points doing the right things to get into the good place. All right. Any other thoughts on that? Or we'll move on to... Philadelphia. Chris, can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you, Dale. Okay, well, I had to, had to unmute it. I was talking there a while ago. Nobody oh, sorry. Uh, what I started to say was, you know, in, uh, in that situation, you know, we do lots and lots of good things. You know, we are a church of good works, but we don't put Christ first. Mm. I think that's what he's saying. You know, you were given him first, the first thing you were given. Yeah. And you're not relying on him, but you're relying on all the good things that you do and how people see you as a, a great church mm -hmm. doing wonderful things. Yeah, that, that makes me think of what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount of like, if you're doing all these fancy things, you know, impressive good works so that people will notice you, well, that's all you're getting out of it, right? God's not going to be yeah. impressed if you're not actually doing it for God. Um, and so, yeah, it's a lot of times it's about our attitudes, about our hearts, not what are you actually doing. It's it's why are you doing it, and what do you think that's accomplishing for what you? What you're putting first. Mm -hmm. What you put first. Mm -hmm. Yeah, priorities. Yeah. Thanks. All right, let's move on to to the next church. 
to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, These are the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Look, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but are lying. I'll make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word of patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. If you conquer, I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God. You will never go out of it. I will write on you, on you the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from my God out of heaven and my new name. Uh, let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So background on Philadelphia, obviously not ours. It uh, means city of brotherly love uh, in Greek. So we just stole that name for ours. Uh, it had a major earthquake there at the beginning of the first century. So, you know, in the lifetime of some of these people still, uh, which is uh, probably important to what Jesus says about, I'm going to make you this established temple later, right? Uh, he talks about this image of the open door, uh, Jesus' open door policy, you could say. Uh, I think the way, what I hear there is he's emphasizing no one else decides who's in or out, right? Jesus is the one who judges there, um, which again is probably pointing towards the end of the book, uh, where in the New Jerusalem, you have the walls and you have the gates, but it says in 2125, the gates are never shut. And so this idea of continuing to welcome people, and that's uh, what Jesus is doing since he has the power to do that. He has the key um, and he wants to let people in. Uh, this is one church where there's no condemnation. It seems like they're, they're doing things well and they're actually going through a lot of difficult things already. And so it's more of just trying to encourage them to not give up, to endure, right? That patient endurance is, is a common theme through so many of these. Uh, it seems like they don't have a lot of power, right? Or a lot of influence. And maybe there's a little bit of saying, and that's okay, right? You don't have to have a lot of power and influence in this world to, to do what you need to do to matter. Don't chase after those things. Uh, but he says also that I'm gonna keep you from this, this hour of trial in verse 10. And it makes me wonder, what is Jesus promising there exactly? Is he promising you'll never experience the trouble that everyone else is going to go through? Or he's saying that when you go through that, I'm going to keep you safe. Um, what do you hear? What's the difference? What should we expect? That's verse 10 if you want to look at it. Does God keep us from ever experiencing any trials if we're good enough Christians? No, in fact, sometimes our trials are a mark that we're doing okay and he wants to strengthen us. Mm. It's just hard to look at them that way when you're in the middle of something really awful. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes our trials and temptations are an indication that we're we're doing okay, and he just wants us to be better. Mm -hmm. I never like that, but I think <laughs> that's what happens sometimes. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, nobody likes taking a test, but they're important to, to help you see where you're at. Um, they can help us grow. And again, I think it's, this is one of these areas that could be a bigger discussion of saying, you know, who's putting us to that test, whether it's God or, or other powers. Here, it seems like it is. It's not, the test isn't coming from God. It's, but God can use that, right? No matter what we go through, God can use it. God can turn it towards good. Um, but I, I think it's, it's a hard thing, right? We, we can say that. And yet when we go through those trials, through those tests, it's still, we kind of prove, I still wasn't expecting that. I expected things should go better for someone like me, right? Um, and so, yeah, how can I grow from this? I think, yeah, like you're saying, Karen, that's always the question to ask. Um, and that's hard. I'm not saying when you're in a really, really difficult situation, the first thing you think is, okay, how do I need to grow? You know, you can wait to get to that moment. Um, but to see that God can work, well, is that well-known, sometimes cliched verse says, God can work all things for good, and God does, um, but in God's own time, um, and we may not know what that good eventually is going to look like, but we can trust in that, um, and so like I said, there's this promise at the end that they're going to become God's temple, uh, where God is present, right, they experienced physical loss, right, they're Maybe some of them have lost homes, uh, property in this earthquake not too long ago. And so this is a comforting image. And again, it's this final image of the new Jerusalem of God coming to us and dwelling with us and uh, making all things right here, the new heavens and new earth uh, where everything kind of comes together. So that's, that's where that image is, is pointing. All right, let's get to Laodicea, uh, maybe the image that we know best. And I think this is one, especially where if you know the background of it, uh, you can understand what Jesus is trying to say to them. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the origin of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were either hot or cold. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. You do not realize that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Therefore, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white robes to clothe you and to keep you the shame of your nakedness from being seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. I reprove and discipline those I love. Be earnest, therefore, and repent. Listen, I'm standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to you and eat with you and you with me. The one who conquers, I will give a place with me on my throne, just as I myself conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. But anyone who has an ear, listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. All right, so let me go back to our slides here. Uh, okay. Share. PowerPoint show. All right, so that was Sardis. So here's Laodicea. Um, these are the, the ruins of it today. You can see that main road there. It was a, the wealthiest city of the seven that are addressed in Revelation. It was on a major trade route, uh, so a lot of wealth in this city. But you see Jesus alluding to, right, you, you're, you think you're wealthy, but you're actually poor. Uh, it also had been destroyed in an earthquake in the year AD 60, which again, not very long ago. Uh, this is written in the 90s. Uh, and the citizens of Laodicea rebuilt the city with their own wealth they declined assistance so that was probably a source of pride for them right we could fix our own our own problems we don't need anybody's help 
some of the things they produced there were wool for clothing and a, an eye salve, which Jesus references both of those things. You're naked, and so you know, let me clothe you, and I'll give you this thing so you can see and see clearly. And then uh, there was, as great as the city was, it didn't have a good source of water. So they used aqueducts, a famous Roman invention. Uh, and these are some of those aqueducts there in Laodicea. And so they, they brought in water from hot springs. So they had hot running water and uh, brought in cold water as well. Uh, so that's what he's talking about when he talks about hot and cold. He's talking about the water that they would bring into their city. Um, and this, I think, is one of the image that is most uh, misunderstood sometimes, this idea of you're lukewarm. Because the way that I've often heard that interpreted is Jesus saying, I wish either you would sin a lot or you would not sin at all. Um, and I don't think that Jesus would want people to sin a lot, uh, right? That's somehow how we misinterpret that. But when you know he's talking about the water that they would bring in, Hot water is good, right? You can wash your clothes, wash your hands. Um, cold water is good for drinking and other things. Lukewarm water, it's not really good for anything, right? Or I even think about tea, right? Uh, iced tea is great. Hot tea, especially today, is great. Lukewarm tea, right? Like if you pick up your mug and it's been sitting for a little bit, uh, you will let like, I lit out of my mouth, right? That's the image that he's using here. So he's talking about whether or not they're useful, not whether they're, you know, um, just kind of lukewarm Christians, right? We, we use that phrase to mean people who don't try very hard. It's, are you useful or not? Hot and cold are both good. Lukewarm is good for nothing. Uh, and so here, I think, based on what he says, based on what we know about the background of Laodicea as a very wealthy city, um, the part of this lukewarmness is the fact that they're too self-reliant, reliant on their own wealth uh, to take care of themselves. Why would it be a challenge for a church or for Christians to be too wealthy? Right? I mean, it's, we don't often think in terms of, of too wealthy in our culture, but what, what is the spiritual danger, spiritual danger of uh, being wealthy? But it would be so much fun to have all that money and you could do yeah. what you wanted and get what you wanted and and make people like you with your money instead of... Yeah, I can do what I want. want. People will like me because I can do things for them. What else? What are the spiritual dangers that come from excessive wealth or even just wealth? It doesn't even have to be necessarily excessive. Well, you don't need God anymore. Okay, right. Why do I need God for? I can take care of myself. I mean, there is a reason why uh, westernized first world countries are the hardest to be missionaries in. Mm -hmm. And there's a, and the reason why Africa and these third world countries are growing in faith exponentially. And I would say that is mainly the due to wealth or lack of wealth. When you have no wealth and you're, you're going, you're living on the daily, you are, you need to rely on God more. When you're too full, you forget to rely on God. Yeah, it's, 
self-reliance is it's a value in our culture and um but there can be a, almost a spiritual danger to it. Now, obviously, we don't go too far and say, you know, don't take care of yourself, don't do anything for yourself. Um, but can we go too far in that? And yeah, it becomes this point of, I don't need anybody else. I don't even need God, you know. And it, I mean, think about how hard it is for us sometimes to accept help from others, uh, to ask for help. It feels humiliating. Uh, because we've been trained to think I should be able to take care of all my problems by myself uh, without asking for anyone else. And yet, this is what the church is. We're meant to bear one another's burdens. And if everybody is so well off that, that they don't have any burdens or they don't ever feel the need to bear any others, we're not going to really be that close to each other. Um, and so, uh, again, it's, it's tricky. And I'm not saying, but it is something Jesus often talked about, right? You go and see how often especially in the gospel of Luke, he talks about wealth. Um, it's not because he's saying, if you have this much money, you're a bad person. He's saying, you know, it, it's just so easily becomes a distraction and you start to be conceited or think higher of yourself than you should. And that's keeps you from seeing your real needs, right? It's, it's the opposite of Smyrna here with Laodicea. In Smyrna, they didn't see their wealth. And here he's saying, you don't see how poor you are. You think you have it all, but you, you seem to be lacking most everything that you need. And so uh, this is one of the churches where Jesus doesn't really commend them for anything, uh, but he does have this word in verse 19 of saying, hey, you know, I'm saying all this out of love, right? Calls to repentance to change. It's because I know who you truly are meant to be, who you can be, and I want you to, to do better, right? We discipline those we love. Um, you know, any parent hopefully knows that. And hopefully our kids do. Uh, it seems like ours don't most of the time, but <laughs> at least we know that's why we're doing it. Uh, and this, so that's what Jesus is trying to say here. And he's right at the door. He's knocking. If you just open it, I'm going to come in and we're going to, uh, like Jesus talked about, or uh, like Gary talked about with Jesus in John 2, we're going to celebrate. Um, so he's always there. He's ready to come in. We just have to be willing to open that door. Uh, then so then the final image we get here, uh, if you conquer, you get to sit on the throne with me, just like I sit on the throne with my father, which again, a fun image is like, it's a dog pile on, on God's throne. Um, but that's the image. It's, it's more about we're getting to rule with him alongside him. And getting back to that ongoing question, we'll keep thinking about it, what does it mean for us to rule and conquer? All right, well, as we uh, wrap up here, I want us to go back to the churches um, and see what is the big, big danger overall for all of them and how can we be aware of those and, and avoid them? Working? There we go. Uh, so in Ephesus, the danger was a lack of love, right? They've forgotten their first love, and that could be for Christ or for one another, somehow both. Smyrna, there's a potential fear of suffering. They, they were doing well, but I think he's encouraging, don't be afraid of what might happen to you. Pergamum, it's the danger of accommodation, just kind of going along and not making a, a stir with what everybody else is doing. Uh, similarly, Thyatira, there's moral compromise. Um, Sardis was, was apathy. They just don't really care that much. They need to wake up. Uh, Philadelphia, there's a potential of them giving up under pressure because they're facing a lot of it. And as we saw in Laodicea, uh, the danger of, of self-sufficiency. I don't need anybody's help, even God's. So as, uh, as he often says at the end of, he says at the end of every message, 
let everyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Um, where do you see these dangers today um, in, in Westlink, in, in our personal lives? Uh, which do you think are the hardest ones to deal with? Uh, and what do you think Jesus might encourage us to do? Let's take a minute and, and make all this, uh, bring it down to, to our time, our situation. Which of these are we struggling with? Or you can say yourself if you don't want to, if you don't want to lump other people into it, uh, which, which are hard for you. It's easy not to care as much as we used to. The okay. apathy, apathy thing looks like the most deadly of all of those because we, we need to be careful that we don't get to the point where we're just saying, yeah, it really doesn't matter. You know, it's going to happen or it's not going to happen. Who cares? Yeah. Bonnie? I, I, I think I said maybe what Dale and Karen said, apathy and moral compromise hmm. at Westlink. Yeah, and, and obviously these are very specifically right now are very trying times of like with the apathy, what do we do? You know, that's, I can admit that's a, a struggle for me of, okay, I, you know, we're trying to figure out how to be the church in this moment and that it's even harder than it was uh, before we got into the pandemic, um, but it's it's always a struggle, right? Of to, yeah, like Karen is saying, not just well, you know, whatever, it'll it'll be fine. Um, but see, you know, we are called to to do good in this world. God has given us this church and all the ministries of this church for a reason. And um, waking up to that, I think, is is a challenge. Anything else? Strike anyone before we wrap it up. I mean, again, I think all of them, any church can can have to work through. And Jane, were you going to say something? Well, I don't know if I want to say this or not, but I'm going to. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I think just given the last year of um, political unrest, uh, racial unrest, pandemic unrest, all of those things, coupled with uh, Facebook and Instagram and social media, I think that maybe our lack of love could be something that's been sneaking up on us. Because when, when we are unable to meet in, in spirit and in truth, as a body of Christ face to face, when we are unable to hug and love and care for in person, the body of Christ, I think there's a danger in forgetting, forgetting who people really are and, and instead defining by what they see posted on Facebook or other forms of social media. It's really quiet. Seeing a person as their posts and uh, hold on, baby. I have a piece of okay. Okay. Make it a good point, Joyce. Let her talk. Yeah. 
seeing them as their, their posts or what they're saying and forgetting who they are as a, as a whole person and as a total person. And I think people get, can get angry and forget how we're, how we are supposed to love each other. Yeah. I think that's good. Yeah. Uh, but do we love one another first and foremost? But yeah, the ways that that is specifically challenging in this moment. All right. Well, let's, uh, we'll wrap it up there. I know there's probably more that we could say about all these things. And, you know, there are always things to watch out for. And Jesus does have a lot to say here about the cost of discipleship and what it takes. And, uh, but there's also promises of comfort and, and that he will be with us and take care of us. So, Again, every time that we hear all these dangers and, and things to watch for, we don't want to lose sight of the fact that uh, it's all done out of love and, and God created us for a good purpose. And we always want to be pursuing that purpose. And uh, so let's encourage one another in that direction. All right. Well, thank you all for being with us. Uh, we'll, we'll see you again next time. We'll get into chapter four, where it's really getting into the, the story, you could say, of, of Revelation and this scene of, of worship in the throne. So uh, stay warm and uh, we'll see you next time.